Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103 wonderful to start the programme with a nice weather forecast like that and I think everybody's enjoying this fine bright spell of weather we're, we are getting and it looks like we're going to get it for the next few days but it's not going to be declared a heat wave but I think because the temperatures have been so low of late many people are saying oh we've got a wonderful heat wave we don't and it's not looking like that it is going to be a prolonged uh, heat wave we can expect a warm dry day again today with uh, spells of hazy sun and tomorrow is going to be much the same. Generally dry, fine weather for much of the country tomorrow. Thursday will continue to be mostly dry. Good periods of uh, sunshine. But the high pressure system will start to fade by Thursday. A low pressure is going to move in. That's going to bring more cloud and the risk of scattered showers by late afternoon on Thursday. Um, which means temperatures will start to dip on Friday. We will have a dry start to the day on Friday. But the rain is going to move in in the afternoon starting in the east and the south and moving westwards throughout the course of Friday and then the weekend at this stage is going to see a return to cooler more unsettled weather so enjoy this lovely spell of nice weather that we have at the moment. Now John Paul's taking your calls at 1850 and I just want to reference a couple of things before I go to what's coming up on the programme today. Firstly, uh, Anne-Marie from Bantry has been back on to us. Anne-Marie was the lady who contacted us last week or was it the week before describing herself as a 46 year old who actually looks younger than her 46 years. She's a divorcee. She's a non-drinker, a non-smoker. She comes with absolutely no baggage and she's wondering where can she go to meet somebody and uh, she kind of likes the social dancing scene but she's finding it very hard in the West because she's in Bantry in West Cork to find social dancing where she can meet singles and she contacted uh, us and I have to say we were then inundated with lots of men who were offering were looking for Anne-Marie's telephone number wanted to go out on a date with her but John Paul who was taking the calls was saying something that Anne-Marie had said that when she went to dating agencies so when she put, for example, an ad in the local paper, it was men 80 years plus 
who were answering the ad. I mean, she is only 46, looks younger. So she's obviously looking for somebody in their 40s, even into their uh, 50s. Would she date somebody in their late 30s? Maybe she would because she looks uh, younger. But she certainly is not interested in dating an older man or a man over the age of 80. And John Paul said that he took calls from elderly gentlemen who were looking for Anne-Marie's number. So we're not looking to set Anne-Marie up on a date, but she's been back onto us again uh, to say... Could we sort of narrow it a little bit and could we look for suggestions for singles where she could go as a single with the possibility of meeting a long term partner, ideally somewhere in the West Cork area? So that's the suggestions she's looking for rather than a date. She's looking for people to say, if you go to such and such a place on such and such a night, it's often a good place to meet. Maybe somebody who's in that same age category has been out and about. Did you meet a long-term partner? Did you manage to meet somebody really nice? And if so, where? And particularly in the West Cork uh, area. She's finding the dating scene very, very difficult. And what she's also critical of are some men, no, not all men, some men who are out there who are not interested in one good woman in their life, but they want two or three. So this is men who are dating a number of other women. Now, I don't know why they're doing it or they're trying to cover all of their options. I'm not too sure, but that's not what Amory is looking for. She really would like to meet her long-term partner. So anyone with suggestions, West Cork area, please, uh, because she has been travelling to the... Uh, Hazel Tree in Mallow but it's two and a half hour journey it's a bit of a trip to go in the hope of trying to meet somebody and then if she does connect with somebody who's living in the North Cork area it becomes a bit of a complication trying to meet up if everybody's travelling long distances so if anybody has suggestions please for Anne-Marie we would love to hear from you 1850 and can I go back to yesterday's programme and a massive reaction to Mary the lady who is 75 who spoke so honestly and so openly about the abuse she is suffering at the hands of her son who is in his 40s, lives with her, doesn't work. When he drinks, the abuse gets worse. It's a lot of psychological and emotional abuse and threatening her and the threat that really got to her lately was he pinned her up against the wall and told her there'd be nobody to look after her except him and that he'd have her eating out of the dog's bowl. He's trying to isolate her. He's trying to he's trying to stop the home help coming in. There are daughters there, but the daughters I from what I can pick up from Mary appear to be afraid of this man a bully he's nothing else but a bully but the main reason that she spoke to us and decided to speak out was the fact that he had hit her on the bank holiday weekend and he deliberately hit her with an open hand on the belief and I don't know if this is true or not of the belief if you slap someone with an open hand it won't mark as opposed to if he punched her, she could end up with a black eye and then obviously she'd have evidence that he had actually hit her. So he deliberately slapped her with an open hand, believing that she wouldn't have any evidence of the fact that he had physically abused her. But she's just at the stage where enough is enough. And I can tell you today she has an appointment to go see her GP and she's also going to see her solicitor. And what we've been actively saying to her is to reactivate the barring order that she had. She had a barring order but three times 
she left him back into the house. She needs to remain very strong. And I think the very fact that she's reached out and spoke to us and she she did it because she wants to help other people. But I think she is really on that journey to rebuilding her own life, the fact that she has spoken out about it. So I do believe if we can get him out of the house with a barring order, I don't, I can't see her letting him back in again. But again, he was using all sort of the psychological stuff. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, come on, ma, leave me back. I've nowhere to live. All of that. She just has to completely, I think draw a line under the sand this time round to get him out of the house and then she has to remain very, very strong. Anyway, Lisa has contacted us to say, Patricia, I felt so sorry listening to Mary yesterday and I hope she will get some help soon. I suffered for years from mental torture. My husband did everything just to annoy me. One thing, for example, was piling up the dirty dishes in the sink and leaving them. Many other small things like that, but just knowing, doing things knowing that it was going to niggle at your partner. You know, that's the whole psychological abuse that goes on. But, said Lisa, I kept my cool. I went off to work every day and I looked after my children at the time. Eventually, I did go to a solicitor for a separation. My husband actually admitted to me that he was hoping I would leave so that he wouldn't be considered the baddie in the situation. He then also admitted that he was having an affair. I could go on and on, but I survived. And after a long while, I met a lovely gentleman and we are now so very happy. I often think back, though, on those years of the mental torture and his controlling uh, nature. Keep up the good work. Um, and that's from uh, Lisa. Again, another shining example of somebody who came through it and that was the one thing yesterday we had some calls and texts in from people similar to Lisa in you know giving I suppose giving hope to Mary and to other women who are listening to us and men men can be in controlling relationships as well but to show that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that people do get out of these situations do get out of abusive relationships it takes the most amazing amount of strength though to do it because if you've been living in an abusive relationship for a long time the abuser will wear you down that's all part of the game plan that's all part of what they want to do so it takes incredible amount of strength and you've got to be so brave to stand up and say enough is enough so well done to you Lisa and I'm so thrilled to see the end of your text that you managed to meet a really nice gentleman because the majority of men out there are kind decent individuals and uh, it's good that you you found somebody who hopefully has become your life partner and uh, you can just try to forget as best you can the past but that's it isn't always possible you've learnt the lessons from it uh, though uh, but hopefully it hasn't affected you and that you are now having having and leading a very happy and a normal life thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103 now coming up on the programme today in a couple of minutes, we're going to be speaking with the junior minister, Jim uh, Daly, minister for older people and minister for mental health. And he uh, has been trying to get the Uber style taxi service for rural Ireland. He's been trying to get it off the ground now for a number of years because we know with rural, particularly with his work on mental health, 
we know what rural isolation can do and if there isn't a taxi service or a hackney service in an area or a reasonable priced hackney or taxi service in an area can cause people to get very isolated so that they never leave their houses and that then obviously the knock on it leads to mental health issues we also know for older people if they need to get a lift to a hospital appointment or they just want to get to the shops they just want to get out and about maybe they want to go to the pub to have a few drinks and uh, play a game of cards if they don't have a reasonably priced taxi service on their doorstep. There's no bus, no Lewis, no tram passing their door. So they are also losing out. So Minister Jim Daly has been really, really fighting the National Transport Authority to say, listen to my proposal, take it on board. So he's announced this this week that uh, some some steps have been made that's bringing it a step closer to becoming a reality. So we'll speak with Jim about that on the programme. Also going to speak about cocaine and the fact that cocaine has become a scourge in Ireland. We need to find out now what needs to be done. The big worry and the big danger for us here in Cork, cocaine is rampant at the moment. But if crack cocaine comes in, that seems to be a really, really dangerous drug. And certainly the, the doctors and the people at the coalface of dealing with people with drug issues are all very worried about crack cocaine coming into our city and county. And when we talk about cocaine, there was a time whenever we spoke about drug use, we thought about it as something being inner city. I mean, I, I would have remembered a time where drug use only went on in inner city Dublin hadn't even come as far as Cork. Then it got into the cities and suddenly Limerick was complaining about having a drug problem. Cork was complaining all of the major cities. Drugs seemed to have just wheedled their way in and was taking over. And then it moved out into rural areas and there is now not a village or town where drugs cannot be purchased. You ask any young person they mightn't be taking it themselves but they'll know of somebody who's taking it. They'll also know of some place where if they need to get their hands on drugs they will be able to get it and that's right across the country in every city in every town, in every village in every urban area, in every rural area. We need to do something about it. We need to wake up to it. We can't bury our heads in the sand uh, anymore. And we also need to learn from other countries who are further down the road when it comes to drugs getting a grip on our young people. We need to learn how we can stop that happening in this uh, country. We are going to start our previews for the local elections. Local elections happening Friday week 24th of May. So the countdown is officially on. And today we are going to preview two of the East Cork constituencies. We're going to look at Cove Electoral Area and Middleton Cork Electoral Area, as it is called. And of course, with the boundaries, some of the constituencies have uh, changed. Some areas have moved out of Cork uh, County Council. And we're going to look at what that means for the candidates that are running. And we'll go through all of the different uh, candidates. And hopefully, by having a listen, it'll help you maybe if you haven't made your mind up yet who you're going to vote for are you still getting involved and engaging with the canvassers actually I had no canvasser calling to my door uh, yesterday and the doorbell rang and out I went going oh here's the canvassers and I opened the door and it was one of my neighbours that's right I said I thought you were canvassing for a vote it's just but yeah and yesterday was a lovely evening I thought maybe I'm finished maybe I've come to the end I've had all of them I've had quite a lot of canvassers but I don't think I've seen them all uh, yet but then I'm in the area of Mallow where 
there's only seven running for five seats. So maybe I have, maybe they've all called uh, to this stage. Some of the areas in West uh, Cork have so many candidates running. Actually, even the East Cork ones today, I think it's 11 and 12 respectively of the two constituencies uh, we're, we're looking at. There's a lot of, lot more candidates in some of the constituencies, which is going to make it an absolutely complete dog fight when it comes to the to the voting and when it comes to tallying up the votes. And also today is day one, first semi-final for this year's Eurovision Song Contest. It is the 64th staging of the Eurovision Song Contest and this year it's coming from Tel Aviv because of course Israel won the Eurovision Song Contest in Oslo, wasn't it last year? Uh, so it moves to Tel Aviv and of course some people feel the Eurovision Song Contest should not be held in Israel and in solidarity with Palestine. There has been a call to boycott for countries to boycott the contest but from what I can gather and we'll find out more when we go live to Tel Aviv after 12 uh, today. I don't think any country has boycotted it but I was reading yesterday that there has been a noticeable decrease in the numbers of overseas visitors coming to the country to take part in Eurovision, to watch Eurovision or just to be around for the festival atmosphere that is Eurovision. For example, last year when it was staged in Oslo, 30,000 overseas visitors turned up for the to for the weekend or for the week of at Eurovision and up to, I think it was Friday of last week, only 5,000 people had uh, arrived in Tel Aviv. So I, it looks like the numbers are down from the tourism point of view because it is a massive tourist attraction to host Eurovision in your country. And then obviously when it's when it's on the TV, it's a great bonus because you can sell your country and let people know all the beautiful sights. Didn't we do very well out of Eurovision all those years ago? All we need to do is win it again. Are we going to win it this year with um, Sarah and her song 22? Mm. I don't know. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850-333-103. And then after 12, uh, also today, Joe Heffernan will join us and we will be continuing to discuss anxiety. A great suggestion for Anne-Marie in Bantry, who is wondering where to go to meet singles. She's hoping to meet a long-term uh, partner. Uh, she's not looking for somebody to ring up and offer a date. She wants to go physically go somewhere. Somebody said, uh, Anne-Marie could try the park runs in West Cork, especially the Bear Island one, because there's a great community around them. That's a really good suggestion. I don't know how fit and active Amory is, but as a non-drinking and a non-smoker, do we assume that she's nice and fit as well? And that's actually was the suggestion I was trying to make to Amory last week when she first contacted contacted us rather than actually going somewhere in the hope that singles are going to turn up it's to actually join something get involved in something and sometimes when you're not even looking for love and not even looking for a relationship you know the right man will suddenly show up I think it's to get to get involved in activities and take up a new hobby and join a new club and the park runs you are right there's a fantastic community around the park runs and everybody gets to know each other so good suggestion thank you for that Record today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 Now the Minister for Mental Health and Older People Jim Daly has said his proposal for an Uber style taxi service that would cater specifically for rural areas has now taken a step closer closer to becoming a reality. Minister Jim Daly uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Jim. Good morning. And I know you're joining me live from Dublin Airport uh, where you are about to board a flight. Uh, What time is your flight at? Are we okay to chat? 
No, I'm okay. I'm okay. For You're okay. Sure. Okay. Yeah. okay. In, in April, it looked like the National Transport Authority were putting the brakes on your plan for a rural taxi service after refusing to grant extra licences. What has changed? Yeah, the, the National Transport Authority have come back to me now to confirm last week that they will uh, offer grant aid to rural hackneys to set up their business and that they'll also, um, you know, lessen significantly the application process and loosen it up significantly because that has been a huge bugbear for many of the hackney drivers that I'm aware of in West Cork where they were trying to get drivers trying to do this ridiculous test that you need to have a knowledge of where the library in Yall is if you want to drive around the Manway Town there in a living, you know, these kind of uh, things that are very nonsensical, but they have assured me that they will uh, seriously lessen the, the stringent, um, I suppose, uh, conditions that are attached to the application process, and they'll also provide a grant screen through the local link offices, and that they will pull out a call next month for uh, people to apply for funding support to set up rural hackneys, but they will have to prove that there, you know, there is a shortage of hackneys in the area they're applying. Okay, so the idea is they're not going to go up against an existing hackney or taxi. Yeah, they're, they're still adamant. I, I actually have an issue with that. They still are adamant that they should be protecting the existing, uh, which I just always find very unusual. The National Transport Authority is the regulator. and uh, mm. It's very unusual that a regulator would be protecting the industry it regulates. In other words, say HICRA, for example, I couldn't imagine a scenario HICRA going and investigating nursing homes that they see that they're up to standard. I couldn't imagine them blocking the development of a nursery home alongside where there is an existing nursery That's home. That's a good it's point. Yeah. It's not their role or their function to protect the industry that they regulate. But we have that very... I actually referred that matter to the Competition Authority. Did you get a response? I did. I did indeed. I got a response back to say that basically they don't have authority to over um, state agencies. Now, it's unusual, I suppose, for a government minister to be referring a state agency to another state agency. But I, I find that aspect very, very puzzling how that the National Transport Authority... I mean, look, at the end of the day, uh, Patricia, I don't make any bones, but if I would want to see a full Uber system adopted inside uh, in rural Ireland. In Dove. That's a system where anybody can drive their own car, pick up a fare. It's all done on an app space. Uh, there isn't an insurance implication because the company Uber covered the insurance cost for the driver. And basically, it allows people in rural Ireland to do a couple of hours, two or three days a week if they want, five days a week if they want, to do in their car just to earn a, a bit of a second income. And it is a, it's a huge success worldwide. It uh, increases availability of taxis through the app system. You just turn on your phone, you press the app, you open the app, and you call a cab to take you from the manway out to the speed. And uh, within two minutes, you're told the car will be on, you're told the name of the driver. You pay online, so there's no cash transaction. It's a very safe model. Um, it is the future. It's like the Airbnb of the, you know, the... the And that's where we need to be if we want to have a full accessible... It isn't just, and I know the VFI are meeting Cork today, the Business Federation, yeah. uh, are having their conference in Cork, and it will be a huge issue with that conference today, that they, um, you know, the whole area of uh, uh, the lack of availability of taxis. Well, they, they actually, I, I, I saw in the papers today, and I know we're speaking with the Vintners Federation tomorrow on the programme, because they are in conference uh, today, but they say, and this is a quote from them, that the Uber-style... Uh, Rural taxi service, um, there's been scant progress, is what the Vintners say. Uh, what we have is warm words, but no action. OK, well, I mean, thankfully we have action now because next month there will be a call put out for grant aid for rural taxi drivers to set up a business uh, to encourage them to do so. And as I say, the streamlining of the application process. But they're two actions. Look, they're positive, they're progressive. The biggest thing they represent to me is an, an acknowledgement by the NTA who heretofore the National Transport Authority 
who heretofore steadfastly refused to do anything on this issue, and now they are actually acknowledging that it is a real issue and that they must act. Okay. It's not enough, as far as I'm concerned. But it's, well, it's a step in the right direction. And, and a progress forward. It's an, look, once you start to break down these strangleholds and once you start to kind of breach the barrier at all, you, you break them down bit by bit and eventually you will have a follow over style. And that's what you need. That's the only solution to this issue. OK, while well, we have you on the line, uh, Jim, fair deal for farm families. The end of the month should see some good news uh, for farmers and, of course, small businesses. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm very hopeful that by the end of May that I get it back to Cabinet again with the heads of the bill. It's just the technical jargon for the beginning of the legislative process. Once I've that done, once I've gone through Cabinet, the heads of the bill, I have no more to do. Well, I have to take through the Oireachtas, but I'm not in control. It's up to the Oireachtas to progress as quickly as possible. But there's a, there's a big appetite across every party and none to have this progress. So I would imagine uh, for your listeners that are listening that I would be hopeful. I hate putting timelines because they're there to be not to be met often, but uh, I would hope by the end of the year that it would have completed its journey through the doll and the Shannon. But that's some of that is the timing of that is outside my control. I'll obviously be taking it through, but I'll have to wait for slots as other competing other ministers have competing legislation. And you know that. But look, hopefully by the end of the year uh, we will have this done and dusted, and that will be a huge relief for because it will be applied retrospectively to people Brilliant. who are already in nursing homes. If they're there more than three years, the payments will cease uh, immediately once this uh, comes into law. Yeah, because I know it came up again on the programme only last week when we were speaking with the Consumer Protection uh, Commission about their publication of the guidelines for nursing homes. I take it that's something that you warmly welcome to those guidelines. Yeah, they are. I mean, that, look, that was always about transparency and a lack of transparency. And one of the things I looked for uh, at the time and I think is, is helping a lot as well is that people are made aware of any additional charges on inquiry, not on admission. In other words, when you're looking around at what nursing home you'd like to go to, it's at that stage you're told of any additional charges, as opposed to when you admit your loved one and their bag and package has been put away and they're in the bed and getting used to their surroundings and a couple of weeks later you discover all these additional charges. I think that has been the biggest issue uh, affecting that area. Okay, and I know you, the reason it's your Dublin airport, you're heading over to the Dementia Forum, aren't you? The one in, in Sweden that happens every two years. That's right, yeah. I've been asked to speak at that tomorrow morning um, on innovation and new technologies. Um, I think as a reflection maybe of some of the work I've been doing in mental health, my own in telehealth, the whole area of telehealth and online and try to develop services there. So they've asked me to speak at that conference tomorrow morning, myself and the uh, head of the OECD um, health department. The two of us are the guest speakers tomorrow in the tomorrow morning session at Sweden. So I'm looking forward to that. We'd be the, the guest of the, the Queen of, of Sweden. Um, you know, so she's a great champion of dementia. Uh, there'll be about 100 leaders across the world from business, politics, policy makers, and uh, royalty and, and so on and they will be there to kind of you know I suppose put our heads together and see how we can uh, learn from each other and develop best practice uh, across the world in tackling what is one of the greatest challenges of our time and that is dementia. Absolutely and that's what we need we need all of the global community everybody to come together and everybody helping and, and working together Alright uh, Jim safe travels and thank you for that and uh, okay, thanks, thanks, thanks for joining us uh, bye bye that is the Minister for Mental Health and Older People uh, Jim Daly 1850 103 on the taxis and it comes up every time we speak with Jim Daly when he mentions his proposal for this Uber style taxi for rural areas we inevitably will 
get a taxi driver? Bringing up the same question this time, it was Buddy, who's a taxi driver in Bantry. He says, how will the insurance work? I'm now going into my insurance company this morning to pay €6,600 for two vehicles that will operate as taxis. If Jim is going to get these Uber-style taxis, what insurance are they going to have? If you go down that road and have a claim, you'll come a cropper. Plus, my vehicle has to be tested twice a year, even if it's a 191. It still needs an NCT. Plus, you have to take my vehicle for... Plus, I have to take my vehicle for a suitable test for a licence that costs €200 or so, but the insurance is the big thing. If Uber drivers get cheap insurance, the professionals are going to look for the same. I feel Jim doesn't really understand what he is talking about as he gets the go ahead. There will be huge upheaval in the taxi uh, business and it's the argument that's always put forward. The one thing, and I must see if I can spend some time looking into this because we know that Uber works very successfully in other countries and obviously the taxi business when the Uber was introduced in other countries, I'm assuming existing taxi drivers and hackney drivers had the very same arguments that Buddy had that they would be unfair on them. So it would be very interesting to take a look at figures as to when Uber was introduced, did the other taxis, your mainstream taxis and hackneys, did they lose out? The argument is, particularly Jim Daly's one, that these rural Ubers, he, he wouldn't be putting Uber inside in Cork City or inside in Formoy or inside in Galway or Limerick or Dublin. It would only be for rural areas that don't have a lot of taxis and hackneys at the moment. So it's the more rural, smaller urban areas where these Uber style taxis would be. So I'm assuming from that, going on Jim's theory, that it wouldn't affect the existing taxis. But I suppose only time will tell. And on the insurance issue, that's how Uber works. Uber set up as a company. They pay an insurance for all of the people who operate as Uber Uber drivers. And when somebody gets into their own car and is going to work, you know, 12 until 4 on Saturday afternoon for example and decide to run operators an Uber for, for that period of time between 12 and 4 the insurance on their car is covered by this general insurance that Uber have in, has in place not their own insurance so they don't get caught with the high insurances that taxi drivers have and I absolutely accept it is ridiculous how any taxi drivers are managing to make money when they have to pay that kind of insurance premium and they have to pay that out every single year. 1850 John Paul takes your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862 Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. According to a guard, the Chief Superintendent, Ireland is now a country loaded with cocaine. Dr. Jason Vandervelt, emergency medicine physician at Cork University Hospital and so well known to us on this programme for his work with the West Cork Rapid Response Group, joins me to talk about the consequences of cocaine use in this uh, country. Good morning to you, Jason. You're welcome to the programme. Hi, good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Are you noticing an increase in the use of cocaine? Uh, certainly not only are we noticing the increase, but the statistics that are coming out um, are, are definitely bearing testimony to this uh, new epidemic um, of drug use. Um, cocaine has been well known as a party drug of high rollers traditionally, but you know, the latest statistics are definitely showing that it transcends all kind of boundaries. It's, it totally undiscriminates now. 
um, with cocaine use absolutely rampant. Some very scary statistics coming out of Europe uh, there, Patricia. So it's across all social demographics then? Absolutely, absolutely across all social demographics. No longer just this, um, you know, a, a drug of wealth. Um, certainly it's become a lot cheaper and it's become a lot cheaper. You know, you're looking at an estimate of about 17.5 million European adults um, who have experienced cocaine at some point in their lives at the moment. And will patients openly tell you that they've taken co- co- cocaine? There's like no shame about it anymore. There's no shame at all. And I don't know whether it's, uh, uh, you know, the fact that they've hit the emergency department stage, they know they've either been injured or they're ill and, you know, time's up, we might as well tell the doctor what's going on. Um, but I do think people are far less um, stigmatised by uh, drug use in, in general, certainly with cocaine there and, and any of the other drugs, actually. They're, they're quite open and honest with us, you know, Whereas before, oh yeah, I fell down and, and hurt my ankle. Now it's very much, you know, uh, you know, I was on cocaine. I'd been out uh, partying the night before, and I, I must have injured myself at some point. I can't remember. And that would be quite common. And the fact that you've mentioned it's come down in price has that got anything to do with that? A lot of people don't know what the cocaine is mixed with, and that in itself can create huge problems. Well, certainly we've got a lot of um, warnings from the guardians and. and and from customs, excise, and revenue uh, of what is coming into the country, and we know that uh, you know the, the cost of, of, of raw cocaine is one thing, but once it gets cut and cut and cut and cut with a whole range of other products and and, and drugs, from uh, anything from fentanyl to k- ketamine um, to to anything really, uh, mix it with lignocaine and mix it with baking soda, you name it. Once it gets cut, it's uh, a totally different product. And that's what actually people see on the streets. Nobody actually gets pure cocaine. And then when people present to you, uh, it's not only cocaine they've taken. I'm assuming they've, they've taken other drugs or mixing it with alcohol, for example. Well, again, I, I mean, I, I, I emphasize that, you know, you, there's no quality assurance um, on street drugs. You don't actually know what you're getting. And uh, almost certainly it's mixed with another drug. And that's when we start getting problems. You, you mentioned alcohol, and, and, and alcohol in particular with cocaine is quite uh, dangerous. That's your cocaethylene uh, mix that, that occurs and certainly prolongs the effects of cocaine, but also prolongs the harmful effects such as effects to your heart and your liver and, of course, um, you know, your mood and your mental health as well. Is cocaine very addictive? It's extremely addictive. Um, and, you know, one thing... Cocaine is one thing, though, Patricia, um, limitedly now, we are absolutely dreading when crack cocaine comes to court. Um, you know, the crystal form of cocaine, which is, is heated and smoked, is so dreadfully addictive and so dreadfully ruinous on, on, on lives and destroys families and destroys personalities. And, you know, we see this in, in other countries, particularly in Australia at the moment. And, you know, we really, really fear for when crack actually gets into court properly. Is there inevitability that it will arrive in Cork? Uh, unquestionably, you know, it's, it's, it's just a matter of time. Um, but hopefully, you know, we can... We, can, we need to destigmatise it ourselves um, in many regards and, and help people who are addicted. It's an incredibly addictive drug. It's incredibly difficult to, to kind of get yourself out of that horrible cycle. And, uh, you know, we really need to be working with people as opposed to stigmatising them. And... The strategy that we are adopting at the moment is really much, from a health service perspective, is harm reduction and looking to counsel people and help people out of um, the addictions. You know, give people sensible, practical advice 
sickness. They don't get bloodborne viruses, for example, from sharing uh, uh, tools to, to to take drugs or don't get sexually transmitted diseases because they're um, failing to take adequate protection with them. So those are the sort of strategies that we're adopting at the moment, and certainly the HSC has taken that, that stance since uh, it launched the campaign in uh, July 2018, just highlighting the real dangers of cocaine and crack cocaine. And, and is there anything that, they, what can the government be doing about it? Well, I think the government can is, is doing what it can. It's, it's extremely difficult to, you know, tackle drugs, and there's a whole raft of proposals out there and, and experiences from other countries. Um, and again, it's this harm reduction strategies. It's pushing through the agendas of, um, you know, look, totally off the, the mark. People look at things like drug injection centres and, and go absolutely horrified. Not in my neighbourhood. But actually, the successes of such projects from a public health perspective are absolutely immense and measurable in helping getting people off the streets. So we need to be a little bit more open about um, these harm reduction strategies that we can adopt. And certainly the government is, is looking into that sort of thing. But, you know, they get a, they get a hell of a, a rough ride when it comes to suggesting uh, things as outrageous as having a drug injection centre in, in my town. But, you know... At the end of the day, it's a public health crisis. It's, it's our children that are affected. It's 2.5% of all young people aged 15 to um, 35 have actually tried cocaine. That's a high figure, isn't it? 2.5%. Okay, this is not something that's, uh, you know, a, a, a small minority. It's a massive uh, percentage of our young people, and it's only going to rise now um, as, as, as the economy improves and and whatnot. So we've really got to be a little bit open about these harm reduction strategies. And it's not just urban uh, areas. I mean, we're we're seeing cocaine in, in rural areas as well. Uh, look, I've, I've said it once before on, on your show, you know, particularly um, our rural towns at, at night are absolutely awash with uh, the sex of drink, drugs and and, and, uh, and, and, and the like. And it's, it's extremely difficult um, you know, to contemplate, whereas before it was seen as a inner-city problem, but certainly an all-island, across-island problem, and, uh, you know, rural communities are, are blighted by, by, by drink and drugs. We, the problem is it's so stigmatized that, uh, you know, families feel very desperate. They can't even talk to their own friends about what their children are getting up to, and, you know, it's time that we start supporting each other, and there are very real, you know, tangible uh, efforts that we can make in terms of reduction um, in, in deaths, in reduction in, in transmittable infections, reductions in uh, you know, the antisocial side of drug use, and we can make them by actually working together as a community. Okay, and very finally, we can't let you go without asking, how's everybody, how's the gang at the West Cork Rapid response? Are you as busy as ever? Oh, look, everything's going very well. I mean, we've just taken on uh, a whole heap of our, our paramedics, advanced paramedics have volunteered to, to work with us. We've got 20 Paramedics, advanced paramedics responding now voluntarily from Belguli through to IREs. So it's been absolutely tremendous. Um, you know, we don't tend to shout about what, what we do because it's obviously the worst time of um, our patients' lives when one of us has to respond to them. But certainly the charity is going from strength to strength. And we're, um, you know, we've got a big project on the go with the Gardaí. We've just had 13 Gardaí tra- trained as, as CFR instructors and going through their various stages of their course. And, uh, you know, we've got a goal now to train all 350 Guardian Guardian support staff in West Cork. And we're about uh, 70, oh, it will be 88 people after uh, McCroom, 88 guards will be trained. Wow. And, um, a, by ourselves. 
And of course, the generosity of the local people is what keeps it all going. Absolutely. It's all down to the generosity of the West Cork public officials, you know, and it's just, it's brilliant to see a community, uh, you know, band together saying, look, we accept that we live rural and uh, are living rural. We have certain responsibilities to our own community. It's pure metal at work and we're you know, very grateful to, to the community and certainly I'm grateful to be taken on by such a wonderful community and a wonderful place to bring up my children. So, uh, well yeah, done, thank Max. you, Cork. It's everybody helping everybody out. Listen, we'll let you get back to work. We appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Thank you for that. And thanks for Good joining us. Uh, bye-bye. That is Dr. Jason Vandevelt joining us from the Emergency Medicine Physician at Cork University Hospital and with the West Cork Rapid Response. And that actually was a pre-record, a pre-record that I had to do with uh, Jason because he's just so busy at uh, CUH. And uh, I, my thanks to him for taking time out to talk to us. Actually, somebody was on saying, uh, Catherine was on to say, would you ask Dr. Jason, uh, is there any news yet on the new air ambulance helicopter? Any news of it starting soon and how is progress with their new rapid response Jeep? Thanking you, Catherine. Well, the air ambulance has nothing to do with the West Cork rapid response there. It's a totally different charity. I mean, they're still, pardon the pun, trying to get the air ambulance up in the air, but it's nothing to do with the West Cork rapid response. The West Cork rapid response I can't get figures for 2018, but I know the last set of figures I had for them is for 2017 and they had 130 call-outs and they looked after 158 patients in 2017. I mean, that's they are astounding figures and that's all done on a voluntary basis. Jason and the rest of the volunteers, I mean, heard him say that they've got 20 uh, fully trained now paramedics now it's 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 incredible and it is local people looking after local people but also looking after visitors because obviously the nature of West Cork you get a lot of tourists uh, into the area and they don't discriminate when somebody gets sick and needs the help of the West Cork Rapid Response they're there so continue good luck uh, to them but worrying very worrying to hear uh, Jason wearing his other hat uh, speaking as an emergency medicine physician talk about cocaine and the epidemic that is uh, cocaine use. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. There is a what's called a condition orange. It's a high fire risk warning and is coming into or it's in effect since 12 o'clock yesterday and it stays in place until 12 is that 12 noon or 12 midnight next uh, Friday. It's arising from current easterly high pressure, the nice weather we're having at the moment, uh, and the forecast high temperatures and low relative humidity levels over the next few years, few days, not to say a few years, a few days. A high fire risk exists in all areas where hazardous fuels such as gorse, heather, dried grasses and other dead vegetation exist. Fire risk is likely to be highest in westernmost areas with the lowest expected humidity levels in the coming days. Fire behaviour may be moderate, may be moderate somewhat by increasing live growth content in fuels. I don't understand any of this. Anyway, basically, southwestern areas may experience significant wind speeds in excess of 20 kilometres at times. So there is a high fire risk. And they're asking people to please be careful. So I'm assuming don't light any fires, any planned fires, and just be careful if you are out and about, particularly in areas where there's gorse, heather, dried grasses, or any other dead uh, vegetation. Now, Paul and Skull 
Oh, before I go to Paul in school, my apologies, Paul. Due to unforeseen circumstances, there will be no art today with the Donna Rail Retirement Group and they've asked us to give that a mention. Okay, so no art for the Donna Rail Retirement Association members. Paul in Skull was on to say he has been living in beautiful Skull in West Cork for the last two and a half years and he applied yesterday to give blood. He decided I'll get on to the Irish blood transfusion and I'll do my bit and I will donate blood. But he was told he... He couldn't give blood, even though he has always been a blood donor when he was in England. And he says the British Blood Transfusion Service can't understand what he's, why he's not allowed to give blood, even though he's been living in Ireland for the last two and a half years. Well, it's got nothing to do with you living in Ireland for the last two and a half years, Paul. The reason you're not allowed to give blood is anyone, and obviously this is, you've got to fall into this category. Anyone who spent a year or more in the United Kingdom between 1980 and 1996 are excluded from giving blood and you are indefinitely excluded from giving blood and what they class the UK, England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, the Channel Islands are the Isle of Man and I am assuming, Paul and Skull, that you were living in the United Kingdom during that period of time and it is to do with the dates that I mentioned there from 1980 to 1996, that was the height of the mad cow disease. And it can it can still remain dormant in your body is one of the reasons. And I have done countless, countless interviews with the Blood Transfusion Service Board over the years. And I could have them on about a variety of different issues, but inevitably somebody will ring in, like your good self, Paul, who had been a blood donor in the United Kingdom, moved over to Ireland and moved back to Ireland. Some people had, had lived and worked, some Irish people lived and worked in, in the United Kingdom and then they came back home and wanted to, you know, liked the idea that they donated blood and discovered because they lived in England during that period of time, they are now not allowed to give blood. And any time I bring it up with the Irish, uh, the Irish Blood Transfusion Board, they say there's no plans to reverse that particular decision. And actually, if you go on to their website, they give you common reasons for deferral of blood donations. And they go down through all of the different lists, you know, and obviously, if, you know, things like if people have travelled to a tropical area, uh, the you can't give blood, but there's a deferral period if you come back in three months you'll be allowed to give blood if you had any kind of ear ear piercing if you had any kind of tattoo and you turn up to give blood you can't give blood but if you wait four months you can give blood then and there's you know various other conditions like that pregnancy if you've had a baby you've got to wait 12 months after that before you can give blood but when you get to the bottom few one is cancer if you've had cancer it's an indefinite period of time that you can give blood syphilis or gonorrhea indefinite blood transfusion after the 1st of January 1980 in the Republic of Ireland or at any time outside of the Republic of Ireland again that's going back to CJD and mad cow disease and contaminated blood that's an indefinite period of time Um, obviously if you've ever injected drugs you, you can never give blood but also in the middle of all of those is the if you spent a year or more in the United Kingdom between 1980 and 1986 so that's the reason that they have declined to take your blood Paul and I know it's frustrating and I know it's annoying but as I say I've heard from so many many people and any time the Blood Transfusion Service Board is on somebody like your good self will ring up and ask you know why is it happening and are they going to change the rule and as of now they certainly don't seem to have any plans to change the rule now it's been a while I think since we've 
put a request into them to ask them if there are they any plans to change the rules because they are losing out. They certainly are losing out on blood donations because there's a lot of people who had lived and worked in England who were blood donors and then when they've come back and are decided to relocate and live in Ireland they want to continue donating blood and they're not allowed so we might send an email off to the Blood Transfusion Service Board and see do they have any plans in the not too distant future to look at that ruling again and maybe change their mind. Now a number of people reacting to Dr Jason Vandervelt joined us in the last hour talking about the scourge of cocaine. Dan who is a former hospital worker says what about hospital workers, porters, nurses, doctors who are getting assaulted almost on a daily basis from people high on drugs. Some of those who cause the assault will get jailed two to three years but then they're back out again and it all starts all over again. He reckons, Dan does, that is actually turning people away from going into work in emergency departments and in the emergency services because they're so fearful that they're going to be attacked while they're at their job. And he said you've got very experienced staff who do get assaulted then they're out of work due to the injuries they receive from the assault but then decide not to come back so we're losing experienced staff as well. He said what is, what is going to happen? to the staff they're not getting enough protection and we have heard before that at night time in some of the accidents and emergency they have security guards on which just always uh, shocks me it's not just for drugs it's for people who are off their heads and drink as well and can get violent but I thought listening to Dr Jason talking about the crack cocaine and his fear of, of when when and if crack cocaine comes to Cork because that completely turns people into absolute monsters. They don't even know what they're doing and then you could end up in that exact situation that Dan is talking about, somebody trying to help them and uh, instead of the hand of friendship they're getting assaulted uh, for it. 1850 Micah says, Patricia, yes, you are 100% correct. This country is awash with drugs. It is a bigger problem than housing, than homelessness or anything else you've mentioned on the programme and it didn't begin to happen today or yesterday. Many, many homes and families have been wrecked by drugs and many a good life lost. And listening to Dr Jason, he has first-hand information on drugs in the West Cork area from his work with the West Cork Rapid Response and the damage that has been done to families. It is nothing new to have drug pushers coming to the house looking for thousands of euro from patients or from parents whose children owe them. It's gone out of control. People are afraid they're keeping a very low key owing to the shame but it is time to talk openly says uh, Michael goodness the thought of a knock on the door and somebody very threatening there saying your son or daughter owes money for drugs and if you don't pay up something's going to either happen to your son or daughter or something's going to happen to all the members of the family I know I have a, a very good friend of mine not living not living in, in this area living in, in Dublin who salt of the earth um uh, lady and, and her family, just good, hardworking, decent, honest uh, people. And unfortunately, one of her children just got in with the wrong crowd. And that, what you described, Michael, happened where people arrived at her door uh, looking for money and threatening all kinds of things were, were going to happen. And uh, she ended up having to take a mor- take out, uh, extend the mortgage on the house uh, to pay them off. And it happened twice but very, very frightening. And that is, you know, and again, when I think of that story, I think, oh, that's something that's happening in Dublin. But there's uh, Michael. 
saying that it's happening all over the country. It isn't just, again, you know, we're, we're fooling ourselves if we think that this problem is just a problem in built up cities. It's not. And I can see other people sending in texts from other parts of County Cork saying cocaine, particularly cocaine, is on sale everywhere. There isn't, there literally isn't a town or a village anywhere where you won't see drugs openly on sale. Uh, it really is such a shame. Heidi says, Patricia, drug taking in the United Kingdom is now out of control. On TV this morning, it was said that the drugs are coming in from Albania. That's a fact. And why can't our young ones and other drug takers see by taking these drugs, it's destroying them and the next generation of our country. You just have to look at the United Kingdom. It's out of control with young ones aged 11 and 12 used by these foreign gangs to do the drugs run and the police have lost the run of it. It's killing England's next generation. Stop it before it gets here. And that's what Dr. Jason is saying because he was he spoke, didn't, he didn't mention the United Kingdom now, but he spoke a lot in his interview about Australia and his experience of what's happened in Australia and the drug epidemic in Australia and how we can learn from these other countries. You know, we can see what happened there and then we need to take the lessons learned from those other countries so that we don't end up going down the uh, same route. Uh, thank you for your text to 0862103103. Also coming into us on abuse. This is following Mary's call yesterday to the programme. Jaron Dohalo says, Mary, the 75-year-old lady who's been abused at the hands of her son, Jura in Dohalo has a suggestion. She should put in some kind of a security camera inside in the house. She'll get evidence against her son. That's not that's not a bad idea, particularly. You know, I'm just I'm terrified that he'll turn physical again because she's she's a frail enough lady, you know, with mobility issues, and he's just a bully. I'm just I'm so afraid for her. So I mean, we're waiting to hear what happens today. She's at the doctor. She's at the solicitor. And uh, she has been spending time at her daughter's house because he seems quite volatile when he calms down. But I'm just afraid that if the violence, the physical violence escalates, what could um, happen? And just staying on the whole issue of abuse and looking at another side of abuse, because that's the one thing I think Mary's story has has done. And I mean, we heard some different, you know, different types of abuse yesterday from other family members. It isn't always an adult child to an older parent it isn't always a husband to a wife or a wife to, to a husband. And John uh, says, while listening to Mary yesterday and what she outlined, that case was absolutely appalling. But we also need to remember that there's another, you can flip it, and there's another type of abuse where elders abuse their children. The example that John gives is the son who stays at home, works on the farm and the land, but the father or mother do not sign the land over to him. Also will prevent him from getting married, saying whatever girl the son may bring home is not good enough. Also, they may stop him building a home as they will not give him a site. This is happening in a reverse, the reverse rules. It is a different type of abuse, but in John's eyes, it is also another form of abuse. But as with the advice that we gave Mary yesterday, nobody has to put up with that type of abuse. I mean, if you've got an adult man living and feels he's been abused by his elderly uh, parents in that they're stopping him marrying, you know, they're not letting him build because they won't get, um, 
give him a site. Move, go somewhere else, you know, get a job. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're saying that he's working on the land, but maybe go get a job uh, somewhere else. We need to, in order for abuse to stop and bullying behaviour, because that again, that's another form of bullying behaviour. And absolutely, you can have parents bully their children as well. But the only way the bullying is going to stop is for the person to stand up and say no more no more and move on and and change your life and that's when we, we've, we've had so many positive calls in from people who listened to Mary's story yesterday identified with Mary's story yesterday and spoke I mean only this morning I read out some of the texts that, that came in and spoke about that they were in a situation but they just had to get the courage from somewhere to say enough is enough and uh, to move on. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The latest jobs on C103. Official media partner of the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd. Get working now to run the full half or relay. More details at c 103 one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Club Clearer, which is on Cape Clear. They're looking for a bar manager for the summer. Previous experience at required. Factory workers are wanted for immediate start. It's for shift work and that's in the Bandon area. Experienced beauty therapist required for divinity nails and beauty in Bantry. And a print finisher is wanted for snap print that's on the Western Road in uh, Cork. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This Wednesday on C103's Cork Today show, we'll be speaking with a representative from Awalia. Awalia is a scheme to help homeowners find a resolution to their home mortgage arrears. It provides vouchers for free financial and legal advice and help from experts which are available through MABS. If you have been through the Awalia scheme and would like to share your story or if you're looking for advice, email corktoday at c103.ie. Then listen in this Wednesday at 11.45am only on C103. Cork today on C103. Call 
Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. As the countdown to the local election continues, we start today with previews of the local electoral areas for Cork County Council. And this morning, we're looking to east of the county. Joining me to preview both Cove and Middleton Cork local electoral areas is East Cork journalist Seamus Whelan. Good morning to you, Seamus. Uh, good morning, uh, And you're welcome. Now, it's a different election this time out due to the transfer of land from Cork County to Cork City. So let's start with the Cove electoral area. How has that been affected? Um, this is going to be a very interesting uh, fight. It's, I, I can see it being a dog fight for the last uh, season, the constituency, um, with the local election area boundaries being changed. Cove is now going from a seven-seater to a six-seater. Now, two of the councillors there are not contesting in Cove. They, they are going to contest the election in Cork City, in two wards in Cork City. And they're namely um, councillor Jerk uh, Johan, um, who's from Glanmire, and uh, Dermot O'Kyla, who uh, was co-opted to the uh, district following the sudden death of uh, independent councillor Claire Conlan back in 2016. He is also contesting the election in Cork City. So that kind of frees up two seats in the in the municipal area uh, for new incumbents. Um, at the moment, you have 11 contesting the Cove elections. Um, you would expect the current sitting councillors like Anthony Barry Fine Gael, uh, Sinead Shepherd Fine Gael, uh, Labour's Cahill Rasmussen and Fianna Fáil's Podrick O'Sullivan to do well and retain their seats. But um, it will be kind of a, a difficult fight, I would assume, for uh, councillor Podrick O'Sullivan particularly because with the boundary uh, with the boundary changes he has now lost 1200 votes uh, now that's more pa- or less that's Patrick uh, O'Sullivan from uh, Fianna Fáil he uh, topped the poll last time out he did um but like with the with the changes now his his kind of um main uh, votes would be kind of Glanmire, Lyland area, Glanthorn. So with those changes, he's now fighting Anthony Barry for the same votes and he would cons- probably consider that he's down uh, 1,200 votes with the boundary change. Wow, wow. And then in Cove, coming from Cove itself, I think I've counted seven with a Cove address. Traditionally, Cove people vote for Cove people and the votes mm-hmm. transfer around Cove, don't they? They do, like the in, um, independent counts are in the, um, Shawnee Connors, who was originally a Fianna Fáiler, uh, went independent. He decided not to run uh, last time out uh, with the municip- when the councils disbanded and we became municipalities. He decided to call it a day. Now, he was always topping the poll there. Like Noel Collins in Middleton, he always walked it straight in the door. But um, he's coming back because what he's saying is that since he has decided not to stand as a councillor in the last local elections, he's still representing the people. But with him now 
going back into council, he can do more for people. So he's, uh, I, I would consider he would be the kind of fifth seat, and then it's the and he's the, he's the running. Seat. Sorry, he's running. He's not running for Fianna Fáil though. He's running no he's non-party running independent. Okay, he, yeah, non-party. He was originally a Fianna Fáil councillor for a number of years, and there was a some difficulty there between himself and the party, and he decided to go independent. Okay, uh, I think about twenty odd years ago now. But uh, he's uh, he's coming back in as an independent. You would expect him to do very well. Now the uh, remaining seat uh, that's going to be a dogfight. Um, there's quite a view uh, in like you've got the Green Party um, in Kerry too. Uh, there's uh, there's um, fighting for that seat. You also have Karen Doyle, who is Independence for Change. You've got um, Peter Kidney who is um, a local business person and he's a member of quite a number of organisations. He runs the Farmer's Market on a Friday and he he, he does the, the summer swing. So he he would know quite a lot of people. So you would expect him to... Uh, and again, he's uh, got the cove... Off. He's got the Cove address, which yeah. could, could help when you're you're sort of sweeping up votes at the end to get you over the line. Exactly, exactly. Um, and on, on top of that, you also have Karen Doyle, or, who is Independence for Change. She's been a big campaigner be, um, against the, the water charges. That's how she's made her name. Um, and she would she would also have that Cove uh, um, that that address. But it, the municipality is not just Cove. We go all the ways up as uh, um, Glenville. Um, so it, it would be nice to to try and see some represent representation up around there. But I don't think any of the councillors that have their their name forward um, have been successful from that area. OK, so th- the main issues, uh, Seamus, what, what are the issues that the candidates are hearing about on the doorstep? Well, the, the main issues right across the um, the, the 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 East Cork area, and I'm assuming it's going to be the same in the other districts when you when you go through those in the next couple of days. It's state of the roads, it's the and and, and housing, roads and housing are the are, are the major issues and dog fouling that are coming up on the on the doorstep for for quite a lot of the councillors. Okay, so uh, the so who, who if you were a gambling man, who will who do you think will top the poll? Oh God! Um, <laughs> no, and I've been known to get this wrong. So okay, go on. <laughs> we um, won't we won't put money on it. Okay. <laughs> um, my my predictions would be the uh, would be uh, Anthony Barry, Sinead Shepherd, Cahill Rasmussen, uh, Padraig O'Sullivan, Shawnee Connors. And out of the uh, remaining, um, I kind of fancy my chances with uh, Peter Kidney. Peter Kidney, either, okay. either himself or, 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 or Karen Doyle, but I would, I, I would probably say Peter Kidney. Okay, and then just in the interest of fairness, just to mention all the others that are running, uh, Ken Curtin is running for the Ken social. Ken Curtin, exactly. He's um, he's very good community man as well. He's um, he's a member of the Co People's Regatta. He'd be well known. He would be well known as well. Yeah. 
he would be well known. And then you've got Karen Doyle, Independence for Change, Mm -hmm. Louise Murphy, Sinn Féin, the Greens, um, Alan O'Connor and uh, John Paul Riley is the yeah, other is, 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 is the yeah. other is the other Fianna Fáil. Um, okay, all right. So a bit of a dogfight, and is there is there a sense of excitement in Cove uh, about it? Are people engaged with the local elections? Um, I, I think in in Cove and quite a lot of other areas, it's a chance for uh, people to really put their 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 issues out there um, and and put them to to the councillors. Like you'll talk to every councillor and they'll say that they're 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 getting um, uh, great they're reaction getting on the doorstep. Great reaction on the doorstep. <laughs> which well, look, I know if somebody calls calls to me, I'll, I'll I'll give them all the encouragement in the world, but it doesn't mean I'm going to vote for them at the end of the day. <laughs> Are you saying that you would lie to a candidate at the door, Seamus? <laughs> I wouldn't lie. I just encourage them to to continue their campaign, and I think it comes down to the to maybe the the last day on 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 what you uh, on on who you want to uh, represent you in in County Hall. Now, there's 17 councillors that are not going to be running in Cork County this time around because they're transferring into the city. So you also um, very uh, interesting for them, won't it? They've got a completely you, different canvas. Well. They, they do, um, like the, the municipalities brought in 31 other ca- candidates into the uh, political sphere that uh, were new to the whole political system. So we're going to get that again. Like in Cove, for instance, you've Kieran McCarthy, who uh, is retiring after many years. Uh, um, was that I, a bit of a surprise? Was that a bit of a surprise to see it, Kieran step down? It, it, it was, to be honest, um, like he always topped the poll in Cove. Yeah. Um, even when he was uh, uh, back in the day when uh, you couldn't have Sinn Féin on the ballot paper, he was still topping the poll because a lot of the people would see that local politics is different to the national politics. And it's the, it, if you can do the job and, and get your job done and represent us uh, to, to, to the best, We'll vote for you. The part—it's not party party orientated. But uh, strangely enough, I was talking with Kieran yesterday, and back in 1985, when you couldn't have Sinn Fein on the uh, voters uh, register, he changed his name by default, so he's known as Kieran Sinn Fein McCarthy. McCarthy, yeah, yeah, and and he. He topped the poll, didn't he? In Cove, he did in. Oh, in the he, la- he was all, he was always a, a yeah, Paul topper. Oh, yeah, he yeah he yeah no, Paul was sort of topped the poll, but he got elected on the first count yeah. uh, in in the last election. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, hold hold your thoughts there because I, I need to take a break, and then when we come back, we're going to look at the second constituency in East Cork, which is Middleton Cork. We'll do that after oh. the break. This summer, thousands of people will love this feeling. You can experience it too. invites you to run the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd Whatever your fitness, whatever your goal whatever your reason, we want you to hit the streets Hit the streets Feeling alive Join a relay team or go solo in the half or full marathon Register now at CorkCityMarathon.ie CorkCityMarathon.ie The Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd Feeling alive with C103. 
Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 And we're previewing the candidates uh, standing in the upcoming local elections and today we're looking to east of the county having previewed Cove. We're now going to move on to the Middleton Cove uh, electoral area. Seamus Whelan is an East Cork uh, journalist and uh, he, he joins me. Um, he's once again with me. Uh, good morning. Uh, hi Seamus. Um, now this uh, East Cork, this Middleton Cork, this is replacing the uh, East Middleton Cork. Middleton Yaw, sorry. This is replacing yeah. the East Cork. Um, no. It, it, um, it, what was known as the East Cork? It, 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 it was known as the, the, the All Town Council and Middleton Town Council. So the East Cork municipality okay. was the local electoral area would be Middleton and Yall. Middleton and Yall. Okay, and this is this is increased, whereas we were talking about Cove decreasing by one seat. This is increased. Is this, this is increased by one seat. Yes, they're taking the seat from Cove. Okay, now, firstly, before we look at um, who who's likely to do well here, talk to me about Michael Ahern from Fianna Fáil. He was selected at convention along with Rosario Griffin for Fianna Fáil to contest the election. And when I go to the ballot paper, his name isn't on it. Yes, um, I um, the story broke there a few weeks ago that he wasn't uh, considering running uh, this time around. Um, no, I did speak with him yesterday as to his reasons for not running, and he said that he had uh, felt that he has done his service to the people of East Cork, and that it's now uh, time for kind of a, a younger um, candidate to to come in, which would be in the uh, Fianna Falls uh, current uh, manifesto that they're looking to uh, run new fresh uh, fresh uh, faces and fresh ideas because um, it, they, they, speaking to Hall Martin a few weeks ago, he said that he didn't want the whole party being seen as just um, uh, a party of old, old men. Um, he's looking to put in that dynamic because we are an ageing population. We, he said looking, looking at the, the whole aspect, you've got... Um, retired people that are now kind of running you've got um younger people that are going through edu- that are in education um like for instance uh james o'connor um and you've got rosario griffin then who's a, a lecturer in um disabilities in, in ucc but doesn't it then, seem strange that michael hearn put his name forward for convention and then decides to change his mind yeah, I, 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 I think it's um, just the, I suppose the, the younger councillors are kind of more out there now and the, that he's just kind of maybe decided uh, time, it's time to take a step back. Yeah. He had hinted that to me a few a few weeks ago. He was saying the wife, uh, the, the last time he uh, he, he ran, the, the the wife told him, would you would you ever give it up? You know, <laughs> you've, you've done your time. And, and in fairness, the man has. In fairness, the man has. I mean, he's he's yeah. given a great service uh, to yeah. the area and and to and to the country. So he doesn't know anybody anything by putting his name on the ballot paper. I just think there was a bit of confusion the fact he ran for for convention. Okay, so he so Rosari Griffin remains for Fianna Fáil, and then the other Fianna Fáil name that was on, that was added was uh, was James O'Connor. Okay, James uh, talk, talk me through uh, this area and uh, your your thoughts on it. Um, it's like it's. it's 
it's uh, the, this is going to be another interesting seat we've got. Uh, with Michael O'Hearn now pulled out, we have 12 candidates uh, running for seven seats. Seven seats. Um, you would expect that um, the, the, the current people that are sitting there, um, like Sinn Féin's Daniela Toomey, um, she was co-opted to the seat now since she was co-opted to replace um, Pat Buckley back in 2016 when he got elected to the Dáil. For Sinn Féin, she, yeah. she really hit the ground running and uh, she is a real fighter for the party. But the question is, do they have enough vote to actually get two people across the line? I don't think they do. Uh, but I, I could be... Uh, I, I could I could be left with egg in my face. And it is one of the few minute. it is one of the few constituencies that they are running two candidates. Traditionally Sinn Fein will run one candidate and put all the effort into one. But yeah. they are opting for two here. They are opting for two. One in Yall, one in Middleton. Yeah, and you see they're up against Mary Lynn Hanfoley then in Yall, who's the deputy mayor and she has the all really sewn up. Mm. So that's that that that's another hard fight now. Um it, it it could be a strategy that will work for them. I don't know. We'll, just time will tell. But looking at the uh, latest statistics, um, Sinn Féin are down five percentage points. And with the um, previous uh, kind of issues within the party where the, it ended up to uh, ended up with uh, the party breaking up a couple of years back, I don't know if they have that support to get two people across the line. Mm. But we will we will just wait and see. Uh, and but anything you, can happen in, in local elections. It, exactly. Anything it, can exactly. happen. Okay, you expecting Noel Collins to top the poll? Um, well, look, he's done it in every other occasion. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to... I, I'm going on past form. I, I, I would say Noel would, would top the poll. Okay. Um, along with... Uh, uh, Michael Hagerty, uh, Susan McCarthy, uh, Mary Linehan will should um, if uh, if uh, all goes well, she 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 should uh, be a shoe in as well for for a seat. But it's the last uh, last two seats that are that are the ones that are to to watch out for, and all to play for. It, yes, it, it is because um, like um, like Sinn Fein, Fianna Fáil were also looking at like taking the unusual approach to run three candidates um in the in the local elections purely to try and get that that extra seat for the party there is um, there is surely a Fianna Fáil seat there oh there 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 definitely there there definitely is but uh between who Rosario Griffin or or James O'Connor um like um not Belittling, belittling James or anything, but the party don't have um, a good um, track record when it comes to electing young people. Like we've had Savage, we've had Coyne, and we've had um, Aaron O'Sullivan, who were all elected young, but they they couldn't continue on uh, because the politics was uh, it, it was a 24/7 game and they they, they just couldn't uh, couldn't do that and carry on their workload or their or their college life in the background yeah it be, i mean local politics is now a full-time job let's be honest 
It is, and I, I, I've seen what the, the what the councillors have have had to do. Like they're taking calls and taking abuse twenty four seven from certain sections of society, and uh, like once they're elected, people think that they're they're fair game, but it's not. They're out there to fight fight our corner and make sure that East Cork uh, and the and the Greater Cork County uh, gets the. the the, makes the best of its of of its resources and and gets as much resources as they can and also uh, to future proof the county and and deve- and look at local area plans and county development plans. But there are there are certain people out there that uh, that will think that they own them because they voted for them. Mm, okay, and in the interest so of fairness, let's mention the other candidates that we haven't uh, mentioned yet. That Martin E. Murray is running for non-party. Yes, Self-elected uh, mayor of Whitegate. Of course. Um, yeah. Now he would be uh, very vocal, um, very opinionated. Um, I think he's ran before. Um, I'm not too sure whether he would have that profile uh, to to get the the, the numbers uh, to get him across the onto the ballot paper. But you know, stranger things have happened. Okay, and also there's Shane Neville of Sinn Féin, Eric Nolan yeah, of the yeah. Labour Party. And you also have the Green Party then as well, Liam Quaid. Liam Quaid. And uh, do we mention John Phillips of Fine Gael? Uh, John Phillips of Fine Gael, Fine Gael as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and again, the issues similar to what you mentioned in Cove, it's, it's all it, the local it, issues. It, it's the roads, it's, it's the housing. It's the roads, the housing, and it's... it's, it's uh, Dog fouling and, and and bins as well. The the removal of bins and lack of bin, uh, like uh, lack of the council's inability to, to actually um, clear clear bins uh, as quickly as they should. So resource it's council resources, uh, road housing. Uh, you know the the day to day stuff that people uh, people are up against. And is the area is East Cork awash with posters? Um, it, not in the towns. Uh, Great. As in Cove and in uh, Carrigool, uh, Whitegate, Middleton, they, they all the tidy, they've all signed up to um, this uh, whole scheme where you don't put your posters up within within a town area within within the, the speed limit yeah and the, the it was all the tidy limit. towns groups were encouraging that and and everyone's abided by it I mean I know it's a voluntary code but everybody's abided by it everybody seems to be uh, seems to be abiding by it at present yes okay no skullduggery going on as we've heard from West Cork where people are taking down posters and putting them up in different places and defacing posters well you 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 get the odd defacing of posters Which, all right but it's it's, it's on the more uh, comical side. Oh, right? giving certain <laughs> candidates uh, very interesting dispatches. Uh, <laughs> but I think it draws people's attention to to the candidates uh, even, even more so. They, they might actually give them a tick when it comes to the uh, uh, election day. OK, and the count for... Uh, where Where's the count going ahead for, for both of those constituencies? Um, well, I was talking to Morris Manning, um, who would be running the, the election. He was saying that the... Uh, the count will be in county halls, but the if there's a box needs to be opened, it will be, or the count centre will be in county hall, and then you've got the I think it's the GAA in Middleton where the uh, where the um, ballots will be will be opened. 
uh, in the East Cork Municipal, and I'm assuming it's going to be the GAA Hall in, in Cove that they will do similar. They've done that in the past. Yeah, just for, for the sorting of them all. Okay, mm. listen, uh, Seamus, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us and can we just uh, say good luck to all of the candidates in exactly. East Cork. Thanks, Seamus. Exactly. Thanks no uh, for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. Seamus Whelan there, who is an East Cork-based journalist. Tomorrow, by the way, I'll be joined by Bill Brown of the Corkman and we're going to be casting an eye over the Mallow electoral area and the Canturk Charleville uh, electoral area. 1850-333-103. And as I've mentioned, Charleville, let me give a quick mention to this because it came in by text earlier. There's a fundraiser going on for the Holy Family School in Charleville and Newtown at school and its Bantier Drama Group will be performing a Cot on the Hop in Newtown Community Hall. It starts at half past eight. It's tomorrow night, Wednesday the 15th of May, which is proceeds, as I say, going uh, to two great schools, the Holy Family School in Charleville and Newtown School. Please support. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Kathleen from Cork City sent in a text saying, I burst out laughing when I heard of a light Lewis for Cork City. You'd never know that an election is only days away. They have no shame, says Kathleen. Remember the events centre that was promised just before a general election? We won't hold our breath on the light Lewis for Cork either. Uh, thanks for that, Kathleen. And of course, Kathleen is in Cork City, so she's one of the people that will get to vote in the plebiscite on whether to directly elect a mayor for Cork City. You're not... They won't be voting to elect a mayor. It's whether they want to elect a mayor into the future. That's got Daniel in Bandon, though, jolly annoyed. He thinks it's unfair that people in the county can't vote on whether there will be a city mayor or not. He feels that people outside of Cork considers when they hear about a mayor of Cork, they will view it that that person is over Cork City and County and he feels for that reason people in the county should be allowed to vote. But the regardless of someone's perception, Daniel, outside of Cork, whoever the mayor, he or she is, will have no jurisdiction over the county. They will only have jurisdiction over the city. They won't be responsible in any way for the county. Daniel also wants to know about his property uh, tax and what happens to his property tax. Is it held in Cork County? Or is it held in Cork City? If it's held in Cork City, he feels that's another reason why he should be able to vote for a directly elected mayor. It's unfair. He said they don't make these, the people who make these decisions don't care about the county. Well, the property tax you pay in Cork County does not go into Cork City. All of the property tax goes back into the local authority at the moment. And I know this talks about changing it. There's the equalisation fund. That's where 20% of all of the local property tax collected goes into this equalisation fund. And the idea of that is that they spread the money then around counties. Leitrim, for some reason, poor Leitrim, always gets mentioned as an example. That's one of the smaller counties. They don't collect the same amount of money, say, that we would collect in Cork or look at the amount of money that they collect in Dublin. So they have this equalisation fund. Everyone gives 20% in and then it's divided up to make it fair all over the country. So no, uh, Daniel, the answer is your the property tax you pay does not go into the city. So that does not give you a right to vote in the whether there's going to be a directly elected mayor or not. OK, I want to go to the comment line because it's, would you believe my screen has disappeared to me? There it is. Michael joins me. Um, good afternoon to you, Michael. Hi, good afternoon, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome. Now, you're you're calling us from Mallow, but you are, you recently returned from the Middle East. When did you return? 
Yeah, I returned there this year in January. Okay, you've lived, where in the Middle East were you? Uh, Saudi Arabia. And how long were you there? Uh, 15 years. And your problem now on returning is your driving licence? Yes, that's correct. Explain what's happening with your driving licence. Ultimately, um, it's actually my wife's driving licence. Ultimately, uh, my wife, Irish as well, um, she's returned now and she has been told that the full driving licence that she's had for 11 years in the Middle East isn't recognised uh, in Ireland. So she has to start now from the theory test. Now, the only compensation is that instead of doing 12 driving lessons, she can do six. Yeah. But my point here is, my wife comes back from the Middle East after 15 years. Now, we have a letter from the insurance showing that she has had a no-claims bonus in those years. We also have a letter from the Ministry of Transport, uh, the, the traffic directorate, confirming that she's had a full driving licence since 2007 and no um, incidents. Now, when we come to Ireland, apparently this is not acceptable. Now, I do appreciate that there might be different uh, levels of training and procedures, but the point that I'm making here is, how is it that she can still fly into Cork or Dublin or Shannon or Sligo or Kerry or wherever else, hire a car on the licence that Ireland regards as not suitable to drive or to transfer to an Irish licence. That's a really good point. So if she was just over here on holidays, she She could drive drive away on her Saudi licence. Yeah. No problem at all. But they won't won't recognise it. But if she wants to transfer that licence across to an Irish driving licence, like if you if you went to Saudi Arabia or Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Kuwait or any of those countries tomorrow morning, they will automatically transfer your Irish driving licence across and give you um, one of their full driving licences without having to go through the baby steps again. But when you when you reverse it, Ireland doesn't recognise it. Now, I and also, no problem with not and it if they wouldn't, if they, if they wouldn't actually allow it to be used. Yeah, and it isn't just um, Saudi Arabia. If you have your driving license from America, you also have to do the same thing. But then, if you have an Aust- no America, you don't. America, Canada, EU, they'll accept those. And there's a few other countries, Switzerland, etc., etc. No, Aust- I'm looking. At, uh, Australia is on it. As far as I know, America isn't on it. Australia, what? you can swap an Australian license: Gibraltar, Jersey, Isle of Man, Japan, Jersey, South Africa, South Korea. Are these the ones that you can't swap? Because Canada's on that one. Korea and you can't do America like... Oh, can you? Okay. Well, anyway, some countries you can and some countries you can't, which which kind of defies the logic. If they're recognising some countries, why don't they recognise all countries is the point I'm trying to make. Well, I can appreciate somebody will come on from the the Ministry of Transport. They'll say, well, it's because of how they actually uh, received uh, the training techniques, etc., etc., and that's all well and good. But the fact of the matter is, if you don't recognise it, you shouldn't recognise it. Mm. So if I can't transfer my uh, Dubai license to an Irish license, I shouldn't be allowed to drive on the road then when I come in and hire a car on that same license if it's not acceptable. You know, and you uh, can drive for a, you can drive on that license for a hundred and eighty-five days in any calendar year. It just yeah, it it doesn't make any sense. And what your wife now has to do is 
I know what you're saying. They they have in some way helped got made because this is an issue that has come up before, particularly when we're trying to get immigrants to come back into this country. We're trying to get the workforce, people who left. We need them to come home. The nurses and the doctors are, are the ones that they're screaming out for at the moment. And that's one of the arguments that comes up. Well, if I come back, I've got to you know start all over again with my driving licence. So they did, rather than the 12, they reduced it to six. But it still means... Your wife has to drive around with an L plate up. It still means you've got to sit in the car with her. She can't drive around with the L plate, even though she's a fully qualified driver. But once That's the right. L plate so is she up, comes back for a job here. Yeah, and so she comes back to a job. I have to drive her to work yeah, for the yeah. first couple of yeah. six months until. And like we all, we we already know the the joke in relation to the backlog for applying for your test and getting your getting your license. So yeah. I mean, the whole thing is laughable. But to be quite honest, since I came back. Uh, I'm finding that like this seems to be the procedure here in Ireland uh, in all sorts of areas you know uh, like it, it just seems to me that the only people that listen to anything in Ireland are the people on the radios because the politicians and the government doesn't seem to be doing anything or if they do it takes forever and a day Are you regretting it? Uh, no, I wouldn't no. regret it. Absolutely not. No, but I'll tell you, there is a high degree of frustration in relation to certain things, simple things that could be implemented, you know, quickly and easily and that are not done. You know, a small bit of common sense in a lot of areas, you know. Um, I, I don't understand the delays and why things take so long. You know, I appreciate that there's a certain amount of, you know, ticking the box and crossing the eyes, you know, but this is the way it is. It's just... It's, it's draconian, for the want of a better word, in, in But it's, it's frustrating, Michael, when I mention the point that we are at the airports with signs up saying, please come home. We want people to come home. We need to start making it easy for people who want to return home and who want to come back here to work. And, you know, I just want to throw something else into the pot while I'm at it because it doesn't really make a difference anyway, as I say, because nothing ever happens in this country. You know, it's quite amazing. All the communions are coming up now and the guards are brilliant. They're out there in the morning sitting around your house um, after you've had a few beers, you know. But you'll never see a guard coming down from the airport. Anybody can sit on a flight from wherever, Australia, England, drink all day long, hire a car and drive off. There's no testing at the airports in relation to whether you're over the limit or not. And there's never a guard to be seen pulling anybody there either. You know, I always, I, I always worry so about that. I always watch people get off some of those flights and think about that, saying, "Have they?" And because they get off the flight, it doesn't register with them that they've been, you know, might, might have had a few drinks on board, and again, you, you'll you see have them. To yeah. Yeah. Um, hi, my daughter-in-law just had to, to do had to go through exactly what your caller Michael is talking about. She had to start from scratch. She had a full license from Brazil, wasn't accepted, but yet she could come here as a tourist and hire a car. No problem. It's not making any sense at all. All right, Michael. Uh, listen. Good luck with your your. Thanks the only thing is, your your wife will pass very quickly. But it's just it's a pain, and it's and there's a cost involved as well, which is unfair. All right. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. 1850 333 103. John in Mayfield says, Hi Patricia, light rail for Cork in 10 years, motorway to Limerick in nine years, broadband for all, question mark, question mark, question mark, event centre, the list goes on. Promises, promises, this comes to mind. All talk, big talk, fisherman's tales. That's John from Mayfield, who is very much agreeing with Kathleen, who contacted us from Cork City, saying all these promises, could could there be anything at all to do with the fact that there is an election just around the corner? And Patricia, this is a bad country, says the texture to be older sick. You're grand when you're working. 
Uh, but you're grand when you're working, but then all the cuts are targeted at pensioners and are targeted at hospital services. Well, that may not be the case going forward because something we didn't get to didn't get to mention it yesterday, but it is an issue that has come up. If I can find it here, this is an age tax that has been mentioned. Now, this is going to infuriate some people. So, if you've got you're over 40, you're working and you've got high blood pressure. You may need to sit down for a moment. An age tax has been suggested. It should be imposed on the earnings of workers over the age of 40, as well as their employers. And the idea behind it is that the money would be used to tackle the time bomb of caring for older people that we know is an issue and is going to be becoming an issue going forward with an ageing population. The money generated under this age tax so once you hit 40 you'd start paying extra additional tax and then be ring-fenced into something they're calling New Deal. Sounds a bit like Fair Deal but this is New Deal and it would be a scheme for the elderly providing not just nursing home support but also home support. It is a radical proposal and it has been viewed in a new discussion report from Sage Advocacy. Now Sage Advocacy with a group that was set up five years ago they promote, protect and defend the rights and dignity of vulnerable adults, older people and patients. So they're planning for the future and they're saying this is a way to do it. Introduce this age tax. It would be an additional earmarked social care insurance contribution. It will be paid by middle-aged workers and their employers and it would be an addition to your PRSI um, are, it, are, it would also be an extra, it would be a replacement uh, for the USA, USC but you would still pay the PRSI and it, was only, it would only be people once you hit 40 you'd start to pay this extra tax. Now I can see some people would say this is the way to go. We need to build up this pot to look after the elderly needs. My worry straight away though, when we do something like this and we talk about ring fencing it, how often has money been ring fenced in the past and then it'll go off somewhere else, something will happen and the money, they'll dip into it and they'll need it for something else. I mean, if it can be guaranteed that it's going to look after people in their old age, would people be willing once they hit 40 to say, okay, I'll pay a bit extra because in the not too distant future, well, at 40, it'd be another 25 years, you'll be retired or even longer, uh, that you may need to be looked after. So would people be willing, not that anyone's ever willing to pay tax, but would people understand understand the reasoning behind it? Or would you fall into the category that you kind of hit 40, you've been paying tax all of your life, should you be coming to the stage where you should be easing off a little bit on being asked to pay uh, tax? So that's a new age tax that's been spoken about. It hasn't been introduced yet, but it's one of the proposals that has been uh, spoken about. 1850 John Paul taking your uh, calls if you want to text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And can I just clarify something that when we were talking earlier, when we were looking at East Cork and we were going through the different candidates that were running and we'd asked Seamus Whelan, a journalist from East Cork, just to cast his eye over the two East Cork constituencies and give us his predictions. And, you know, as he says, you know, he often gets the predictions wrong, but we just, he's an East Cork journalist, you know, I just w- wanted to get his overview on the constituency. And can we just clarify, there are not three Fianna Fáil candidates uh, running. There are two candidates running. Michael O'Hearn, who is a sitting councillor, former TD, is not running and is supporting James O'Connor. There was somebody rang John Paul and said that Seamus made out that the bad track record with young candidates was unfair to me. I don't know what that is. Anyway, it made out somebody made out that Seamus said that there was three Fianna Fáil candidates uh, running 
He didn't. He never said there was three Fianna Fáil candidates because we actually, I started the conversation by asking him about Michael Hearn and the fact that he'd gone through selection convention for Fianna Fáil. He'd been put on the ticket and then why was he suddenly off the ticket? So we started by emphasising there was only two and not three Fianna Fáil candidates running. There was a repeat of the show tonight. If that person, obviously that person didn't hear it. They're hearing it from somebody else. But if you want to listen, the show does get repeated uh, later on. Uh, 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association, they're holding a meeting in the Charleville Park Hotel tonight at 8 with several MEPs. It's just farming in rural Ireland now and into the future. And as we mentioned earlier, due to unforeseen circumstances, no art today with the Donnerail Active Retirement Association. An information evening on pensions and investments will be held in the Grand Hotel in Formoy. That's tomorrow night. That's got a 7pm start. While Formoy Retired Teachers Group, they're hosting a coffee morning on Thursday of this week, 10am to 12.30pm in the Resource Centre in Formoy. All proceeds going to Formoy Meals on Wheels. And the Middleton Arts Festival, that's beginning on this Friday with a special country market from 9am in Market Green and great events running all weekend. All weekend events are listed on middletonartsfestival.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Now, this week's Eurovision will be the 64th edition of the Song Contest taking place this year in Tel Aviv following Israel's victory in Lisbon last May. Our man on the ground is LA-based TV producer Dave Cargill, who uh, joins me to preview this year's uh, event. Good morning to you, Dave. Good morning, Patricia. How are you there? I, I'm very good. And there's just, just to let listeners know, there's a very slight delay on the line, but it, but it isn't bad. Let's get the controversy out of the way first. There has been calls on countries to boycott the contest in order to show solidarity with Palestine. Are all countries expected to participate? Yes, all of the countries will be participating. There's 41 who are here at the Eurovision. Um, you know, the European Broadcasting Union work very hard to try to remove all politics from music. The original intention of the Eurovision Song Contest was after World War II to embrace uh, everybody's differences through music. And that's never been more appropriate than today, where, yes, there have been calls for boycotts, especially from some other writers and performers, as well as, of course, political groups, But all 41 countries are going ahead. Uh, One or two of the country's performers have made statements, um, but they say that these are statements that aren't going to be brought to the stage when they perform. Okay, and has there been any protests or are there expected to be any protests? You know, it'll be very interesting. Security, as you can imagine here, is very, very tight. Uh, We have... uh, a lot of fans as well as various different delegations who are here attending. So there are expected to be some form of protest towards the grand final. uh, And that's, of course, on Saturday night, 8 o'clock Irish time. But right now, we're not seeing any evidence of that. We certainly are online. There's enough newspapers who are highlighting some of the issues, the political issues, Uh, But right now, people are also concentrating on some of the positives. 
you know, the winner for Israel last year was very much about the Me Too movement, uh, the female singer Netta. So there's other strong issues that Israel is certainly trying to, to bring to the fore regarding other groups of people and minority groups, as in, you know, in addition. Uh, we do expect to, to see protests on Saturday, but we don't know the scale and we, we, we haven't seen much of, of, uh, of the evidence of the organisation of that yet. OK, so what's the atmosphere like in Tel Aviv? Oh, Patricia, you know, it's you're coming here to 80 degrees. I mean, it's so <laughs> different to what you would normally have in, say, Ireland or Russia or Norway. Some of the other countries we've visited in the last 20, 30 years, it's 80 degrees here. This is a holiday vibe. You know, there's beautiful beaches in Tel Aviv. It's a very kind of modern, contemporary city. Lots of construction. There's a lot of investment into the city. Uh, most of the hotels that the fans and delegates are staying at are literally on stretches of golden beaches. Uh, and we're all walking around in shorts and flip-flops, which is very unusual uh, for us. Um, so there really is a, a good, strong atmosphere. The facilities here at the arena, it's the Expo Arena, are, are very good. 7,500 people uh, will be uh, watching each of the performances. As I say, there are two semi-finals, one tonight then one on Thursday that features Ireland, and then we have the grand final on Saturday. Um, and really, it's a, it's a super atmosphere. I have to say it's very friendly. Israel is embracing the Eurovision. It doesn't host many international events, so it really has taken great, great strength to try to be as inclusive as possible and set up a large Eurovision village for Israelis to attend, and all the performers are singing their lives as well as uh, parks of celebration. And they have what's called a white party coming up this week. That's normally in the summer that they brought forward or to, to, to this week to try to uh, give a party atmosphere. So it's, uh, it's very much celebration. There's buntings and flags and Eurovision on, on billboards everywhere. So it's, it's a great atmosphere. OK, and as you mentioned, Ireland, we're not taking part in the semi-final until Thursday night. Uh, young uh, Sarah McTiernan with her song 22. How has it been received so far, Dave, in Tel Aviv? Yes, you know, that's a very good question. I think, let's go to last year, first of all. I think Ireland did a great job in taking Ryan O'Shaughnessy's song that to me felt like a radio song and translate that to the stage and make it visually compelling. And I think what the secret there, not only was it a great song and he performed it well, but there was a small dance routine, a choreographed dance routine with a story and everybody could follow along. And I think that Ireland is trying to do the very same thing with Sarah's song this year. What they've decided to do First of all, I think a bit of a disappointing music video where Sarah really was on a windy day with a scarf blowing in her face. And it was stunning scenery, but it didn't really have a strong story. Well, I have to say, I think the Irish team have really done a very good job at taking the lyrics of this song, which is 22. And it really is about Sarah's first kiss, the kiss she always remembers happening at a house where the door number was 22 and reflecting on that. And I think what they've done is taken that story and translated it to the stage to a performance that we can all follow along with. And I think they've done that very well. So it's going to be very different to what people have seen on the video. 
It's a 1950s cafe scene. It's a, it's a themed scene. She's dressed in this really super dress. It's a leather, tight leather dress, purple, with two backing singers that will dance with her. They're in pink. And behind her is a 1950s kind of diner where there's a table and chairs that they all start singing at with really striking LEDs behind her in this 50s scene. And she sings the lyrics to the song. They move away from the table. They walk forward. They have a dance routine. And even at one point, some of the props, I think, are good. They've got these milkshakes that they're all using um, as, as props. So I've got to say, RTE, I think, have done a very good job in trying to bring what I think is also a radio song to the audience in a visual presentation that's well impactful. Well done. Um, the, and cha- the challenge, Patricia, is your number your number two to sing, which I think is a real a real challenge. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is because people have forgotten the song by the time you go to vote. Okay, tonight is the first semi final. What can anything in particular we should be looking out for tonight, Dave? Oh, tonight there's a little everything. Um, tonight there's some some super songs I think that will do very well and they will qualify. Uh, Cyprus will be the first song that you'll see in Cyprus were the runners up last year and they've come back with a very similar song that they're hoping with this Mediterranean vibe can can do well. You've even got bondage from Iceland <laughs> and pop from Belarus, so a bit of everything. <laughs> okay. All right, and how many ten is it go forward from tonight? Yes, you've 17 participating in 10 go forward from tonight. And then on Thursday, Ireland is in a slightly longer semi. There's 18 there. And again, 10 go forward. So these 20 will join six who've already qualified. Um, and that's the, what we call the big five countries, the biggest contributors, Spain, UK, Italy, France, Germany, and then the host, Israel. So 26 on, on, on Saturday. OK, and we're going to talk to you again on uh, Thursday. Uh, Dave, in the meantime, enjoy your Eurovision week in Tel Aviv. And thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us today. Thanks so much and we'll speak on Thursday. Bye bye, bye bye. Uh, that's uh, Dave uh, Cargill who is an LA-based TV producer. 1850-333-103, lines open. Rod Stewart is ready to rock Cork on May 25th. And C103 is celebrating with a massive cash giveaway. Win €3,000 with the Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play. Stay listening for these three songs. Song 1. Song 2. Song 3. When we play them uninterrupted and in that order, be caller 103 to win €3,000. Remember our number, 1850-333-103. The Rod Stewart 3K Triple Play. Only on C103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And Joe Heffernan joins us on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, And we are continuing to discuss uh, anxiety, but we're going to focus on teens and uh, anxiety and looking at it from a a parent's point of view, because it must be a dreadful worry for parents when they discover that their son or daughter is suffering with anxiety. Yeah, or even if it's not identified there and then as anxiety, it's like uh, changes in 
you know, the child, the teenager, uh, <coughs> like the things that a parent could would look out for would be like if if the teenager is consistently worrying about things, about school, about friends, about this person hasn't contacted me for a week, um, about um, oh I'm not getting on well at all with that teacher, or I hate that subject. Um, now those kind of things will come up um, in the normal course of events, but I mean the the important word they are like would be consistent. So if that's happening quite a lot, um, one day after another or every couple of days, well, that would be something to note and uh, to maybe um, decide uh, uh, <coughs> inwardly um, uh, at the time to to maybe bring up and to, and to talk about. Okay, and outside of somebody, as you say, worrying, becoming becoming almost a little, like a little worry wart, there would other be, would there be physical signs you should be looking out for? Yeah, I mean, if, if a teenager um, uh, was talking quite a bit about headaches, um, was talking about, um, we'll say, uh, tummy aches, um, <coughs> if they, I beg your pardon. If there was a big um, change, like in um, appetite, um, if if the child said that he or she wasn't sleeping well and consequently was tired in the days, um, that would be again, um, you know, a little a little warning signal that that one would take notice of. Um, you see, the lack of sleep and the tiredness then could lead to I'm not able to go to school today. And that almost becomes a vicious cycle where they're almost turning night into day. They're not sleeping at night, then exhausted in the morning and then wanting to sleep all day. Absolutely. And um, not going to school. Now, what we hear a lot about in the in the modern world, of course, is that people are consulting their uh, smartphones or iPads or whatever. Um, at night when they should be sleeping. But, I mean, uh, I suppose one would have to be fairly adamant that these um, phones or um, uh, devices uh, would not enter the bedroom. Um, Now, with some teenagers, that wouldn't matter a hoot. They'd want to, they'd, they'd well understand that they were going to bed to go to sleep. And with others, there could be a bit of a tantrum. But I think it's something about which a parent should be fairly um, adamant about, to be honest well, about it. Let's, let's be strict on it. Because yeah. uh, all the evidence is there. You don't sleep well if you're in a room where you have, a, you know, be it a smartphone, a tablet, whatever it is, a computer on. And as you say, once it's in the room, even if you're not looking at it, it's just, it's, Something will happen, oh, I'll, I'll just have a quick look. If you wake at two in the morning, oh, I'll just go online for five minutes. Yeah. Whereas if the temptation isn't there, you're not going to do it. No. So parents just need to be strict about it and have the rule that you don't go to bed with your smartphone. Absolutely. To, to, that, that's kind of a given. That's, that's uh, as they say, that's a house rule. But, um, yeah, and uh, I, I mean... If 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 I held my phone, which I wouldn't because it's on silent and it's the other side of the house at night, but if I did hear a beep 
that there was um, a text after coming in or something, I'd be very, very, very tempted to check it out and to see what is it. Um, I suppose that's just human nature. But um, uh, <coughs> with me, um, anyway, it's in the kitchen, it's charging, and it's on silent. And um, so no fear from that sort yeah, anyway. Get the, temp- get the temptation else. out of the way. And if, if a young person is suffering with anxiety, I'm assuming their self-esteem gets hugely affected. The self-esteem would be weighed down. They'd be critical of uh, themselves. They would be doubting themselves. They would be ambivalent about what they want to do. Um, you know, do I want to choose that subject? After? No, I mean, a bit of angst about what subjects I'd choose after the junior night. I mean, what could be more normal? But what I mean is to be ruminating day after day and worrying and worrying about, like, um, will I give that one up or will I do that one? And if it becomes OTT, if it becomes really over the top, well, then it could well be, um, you know, it's a definite sign that the person is troubled. And <clears throat> it could be one of the little look out for signs um, about uh, anxiety, um, doubting oneself. Um, you know, we'll say there's, um, there's an invite to... Uh, a friend's birthday or something in that line or some social event or something that, uh, you know, is on. And the person uh, that you normally would expect would be gung-ho to attend, uh, to go to this event. And he or she is saying, I don't know, I don't think so. No, um, I, I just don't feel like it. You know, that I mean, in that instance now, there'd be a clear opportunity to sit down and say um, what's up like um, normally I would have thought you'd be jumping at the chance to go and hopefully that you'd get more than I don't know um, you know that, um, that the person might open up a bit and it could be anything it could be something very serious or it could be something you know that can be resolved uh, quite easily Um Another sign would be uh, a, a teenager, a young person, um, very regularly seeking the approval of parents and teachers. And that would tie in with what you said there about the lower self-esteem. And self-doubt. Yeah. And the constant validation to be told you are good enough. Yes, it is OK. Because yeah. it also ties in with somebody constantly checking and rechecking homework. Yeah. Yeah, and that's looking for a pr- yeah, and that's looking for the approval when they get to school that they've done everything correct. Absolutely, yeah. and scared about getting something wrong, and that could uh, that could no, it wouldn't normally, but it could lead to I don't want to go to, into school at all because uh, the person, the teenager, could have doubts about that the work is either not done or not done. Uh, to the teenager's satisfaction that they're doubting themselves, as you say, and they're thinking, oh, God, that's not good enough, that, um, no, I didn't really know what I was doing, or I don't know that thing for tomorrow. And um, I suppose when you think about it like this, um, in any situation where you have doubts like that, I mean, uh, as adults, we'd be kind of thinking, you know what, I'd prefer not to go. I'm I'm that bit uptight about it. I'm that bit worried about it. Um, and the thing is, like, that um, when we do go, 
uh, as we all know, we can often come home saying, you know what, that wasn't too bad. That was actually yeah. enjoyable, you know. The thought of it was, wor- yeah. was worse than, yeah. the, than it actually was. Yeah. Um, now, you also would, would need to, you know, wa- warning signs would be a child that was once quite sociable and, you know, always hanging out with the friends and always having friends over or arranging to go meet with their mates, suddenly withdrawing from friendship. Yeah, withdrawing from friendship um not doing the usual socialising, not um, uh, interacting with the with the pals, with the friends, um, becoming that little bit, I suppose, isolated. Really, um, uh, yeah, that would be a worrying sign. I think that would be really significant. Or indeed, we'll say that. Um, a young girl was very interested in, we'll just pick something pretty ordinary like Komogi, uh, but she's not going anymore. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to be on the team. Um, where one time, you know, she was keen, or a young guy, um, a teenager who uh, was handy, or, or not handy, but who enjoyed the hurling. Um, uh, I'm just picking one hobby. Yeah, but that can be pretty common in teenage years. Exactly. If, if you talk to any trainer, that 14, 15, 16, trying to hold them at that age, it's when they discover boys, girls. It's just, it's a difficult age anyway. So yeah. it mightn't necessarily mean that they're suffering from anxiety. Oh gosh, no. But if no, it, no, no. it was These tied in just, with... Um, little yeah. warning signs. No, I suppose, like, um, very clearly, if you had a combination of these... Um, you know, if you were ticking the box for number two, number four and number six, you'd be kind of saying, OK, mm-hmm. no, we'd, we'd better look out. Then there are the ones that are just a little bit more clear. Um, <clears throat> if somebody was gone very weepy, was crying quite a lot, crying for, as the parent would perceive it, for, for no obvious reason, um, like, it didn't mean suddenly that uh, that the trip that they had been promised was being called off or something like that. No, it would be like a pretty much inexplicable um, uh, tearfulness and crying and that the parent is wondering what, what has gone wrong. Now, I think that would be a very clear one. I mean, there'd be no question whatsoever about that if a person, a parent wouldn't inquire, what, what's wrong with you? Um what, what what's up? Um, I want to help. I've time to listen. I will sit down and just you know tell me um, how you're feeling and 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 what's happening. Um, so that would be a clear sign that I mean you know we wouldn't have to be Sherlock Holmes to know that something is wrong. Another another kind of a pretty clear sign would be irritability, mood swings. Um, hostility uh, that you know you couldn't you couldn't um, you couldn't say two words to the person you couldn't comment on the fine weather but you'll get back some kind of a snappy um, uh, again you have to be careful a lot of these are teenage tantrums and teenage yeah yeah you know you've got to be careful that you're not it's as, as, as we said earlier it's if they come you've got a combination of these yeah traits. Absolutely. Because a lot of parents that would identify with angsty teenagers slamming yeah. doors and you know whatever and they, they, they're not necessarily suffering with the, um, anxiety. No, no, no. Or if they are it could be about something very, very impermanent, something very passing. Um, like uh, 
if a person was in the school concert, like, and if it was coming up next week, um, they might well be irritable and maybe quite a lot of the, of the above that we mentioned. But, I mean, it would be uh, clearly associated with an upcoming event. Uh, like, for example, now, no question about it. Um, just about right now, um, uh, coming up to the uh, exams of the junior cert and the leaving cert, you're going to have an awful lot of anxiety, but it's, you know, very... There's a reason for it. Very identifiable. And then the big worry, I suppose, for all parents listening is the fear that their son or daughter might start experimenting with drugs um, and or alcohol. Yeah, yeah. That um, that they would medicate the anxiety. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd even add in there, right, and in the third thing, experimentation with alcohol, drugs or self-harm. Yeah. Um. Uh, well, they would be absolutely clear, clear, clear um, as they um, uh, issues that that would need to be talked about and and to be dealt with, you know. Um, and we were only I was only talking earlier this morning with Dr. Jason Vanderbilt from from CUH in the West Cork Rapid Response, and he was talking about you know the country's awash with cocaine. That if young people want to get their hands on drugs, it's very easy for them to get it. Do you know it's even getting to the point where it isn't easy to avoid it? Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, um, from what I can gather now from some young people that I would be currently uh, having a chat with, they would be telling me like that, that you go to the pub uh, at the weekend um, and that, you know, it's, it's nearly understood that there's coke available. Um, it's available and, and cheap. That's the other yeah. side. It's cheap. OK, yeah. uh, we'll pick up on this again uh, next week by offering advice, further advice for parents on what they can do. In the meantime, though, I've got to wrap it up there for today. Tony, uh, Joe, thank you for that. And uh, we'll talk next week. God bless. That is uh, Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohabwee. His number is 029 We were talking about a light Lewis system for Cork City. Tim said it's a shame that there's no consideration being given for anything in the Fomoy direction. If we seriously want to reduce our carbon emissions, we need to look at better public transport options for the commuter towns. It's not all about the city. Thank you for that, uh, Tim. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we are back with you uh, tomorrow on the programme from 10 o'clock onto the nine. Patricia Messenger. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. This summer, thousands of people will love this feeling. You can experience it too. C103 invites you to run the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon. Sunday, June 2nd. Whatever your fitness, whatever your goal, whatever your reason, we want you to hit the streets. Hit the streets. Team or go solo in the half or full marathon. Register now at CorkCityMarathon.ie. CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon. Sunday, June 2nd. With C103. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.